This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, we're coming at you hot from the Cobble Group Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, coming off of the Emerging Trends Report that the Urban Land Institute put on. I've got quite the panel here today, which I'm really excited to have here with me. We have Ed Himley III, Founding Principal and Project Executive at Pillars. We have Sheila Dow Barton, Principal with EOA Architects and this year's President of the UI Nashville sure. Chapter, or Chair of the UI Nashville Chapter. And Brittany Rowe, Senior Vice President at Bellwether Enterprise. And today we're going to be talking about the emerging trends in commercial real estate and real estate uh, in general in 2024. And Nashville made number one for the third year in a row again. Three Pete. Three Pete. It's like what, what were our analysis this morning? It was um, Chicago Bulls. It was, oh, the, the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees. And now Nashville. Now Nashville in the midst of a dynasty. Pretty, pretty wild to think about because I think who who was the last person, the last city to do that? Was it San Francisco? So I heard that, and I mean, I could totally be wrong, but this was the first time in the report in 45 years. So there's been two peaks or twice wins, but never a three peak. Is that right, Ed? Correct. And San Francisco okay. was close. They had, they were number one twice, and I think they were in the top three. Top five. five. Yeah, top five. But first time in 45 years. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was going through this, preparing for everything, and I looked at the past, you know, five years, and I saw San Francisco, you know, really up at the top, and then they, I mean, they're not even in the top 80 anymore. We will not have that same fate. I okay. would hope not. Yeah, I think last year when when Ed, when we got the, the second year in a row, I was like, oh, man, like, and now you're handing it over to me because Ed was chair last year. I'm it like, all falls on you, Sheila. Now, I'll, the only place, <laughs> we said the only place to go is down. Yeah. Like, oh, no, don't say that. But no, we're going for a 4P next year. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about the challenges today to do that. Yeah. Which was important. Well, let's let's definitely get into the challenges at, at, in, in it here in a minute. But let's talk about the positives. Why did Nashville 3 peat? So, I mean, it's a survey. So, I mean, surveyed over a thousand individuals in, you know, that are in the development community, built environment. And I think they look at, you know, livability. They look at... Um, what's our, our jobs numbers? What's, you know, do people want to invest? Is there equity? Can they, can they invest? Um, and I think that, you know, we got dinged on a few things, of course, things like transit, uh, infrastructure, um, affordability, so affordable housing, but we're still a market that people want to be in. And I think, you know, what we talked about today is even though there's a you know, we use the word reset, not never, never said recession. We said the other R word. The other R word. Explained so, that, that you mentioned is, this word. Which is more of a pause. I mean, I think people are seeing this as a pause. I mean, it's really hard. And I know you can, you know, we can talk about lending and, and you know, the strains of that. But we're faring so much better than the rest of the country. I'll chime in there. I think from... A national perspective. One of the things, again, you mentioned it's a survey. So we had the fall meeting in LA uh, about a week or so ago. And one of the topics that came up was another R word, recovery. And one of the things that's being looked at heavily now is how are downtown urban cores recovering after COVID um, and kind of in this work from home kind of post-pandemic era. And what was found is that many of the cities that are faring the best their business districts are either in adjacent to or closely aligned to their entertainment district. Yeah. And that just that just describes Nashville, right? And it describes Nashville really quite perfectly. Um, and so when you have that type of attention on your urban core and your urban core comparatively is still doing very well. Uh, and we've still got a lot of tower cranes swinging and a lot of those cranes are for office. Um, even though there's been some pauses and some different uh, maybe modifications to plans, you're still seeing office go forward here. Um, and then you still have housing, you still have industrial. So we still are, you know, the major food groups are still uh, moving forward in Nashville. And so I think that's something that in a lot of people's minds kind of propels Nashville still to the top. Um, very few people you interact with that are just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bearish on Nashville. You, just, you still hear that. 
Right. Um, and a lot of people are still bullish. A lot of people are still looking to enter the market. Um, and so I think those are some of the things I think push Nashville to the top. And you look across the nation, some other areas um, are starting to cool off. And in some people's minds, they're starting to pull away from it. And then the affordability piece, you know, yes, we're starting to definitely climb in terms of in terms of cost, average cost of homes, but we're still not San Jose, San Francisco, Boston, um, New York, uh, Austin. There's a lot of those really big um, cities. I think we're still maybe slightly below um, Raleigh um, as well in terms of average housing costs. So when you look at our competitors, sister cities, uh, we're still more affordable. That's right. And then you take state income tax situation um, or lack thereof into account for the state. And that, that all kind of still positions us well against our, com- our competing city. Yeah. I mean, compared to 10 years ago, Nashville's not affordable, but you compare it to any metro that it competes with. And we're probably a lot more affordable than anybody else on that list. Well, one of the conversations I was in this morning before the our presentation was about, okay, the market rate multifamily developers have slowed, paused, or just hit the brakes. But there are several affordable housing developers out there that Although there's many more layers, there may be, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 layers to their their financing package. They're still able to go get some of that financing and make make it work somehow. So, I mean, we have two, we have a project in design and a project in construction that's completely affordable housing. And so I I maybe when other people are pausing or hesitant, I, it's really nice to see those projects move forward. Although, you know, we want to see... We want to see those in good times and bad times. Right. Yeah, I think, and you mentioned taking over as chair this year that you were worried about the 3P. And last year we were talking about, uh, one of my favorite comments was how Nashville is like a teenager and it's growing pretty quickly. It's kind of in that awkward phase. It's not sure who it want to become. But I think this pause has really been a benefit for us, to your point. I mean, it's allowed us to kind of step back and take stock and look at the development community that's already come out of the ground and say, okay, where are the subhubs or how do we need to face these challenges? And, and we're recognizing those challenges. So the pause isn't terrible for us. And in some ways, before this report even came out, I, I was thinking to myself, we'll be the least worst off, right? <laughs> I might, we might not be the best, but we'll be the least worst off relatively. Yeah. So it is all relative and everybody's facing a lot of these challenges. Affordability attainability is national. That's a national problem. We've, we've got a really funny question coming in. Value Add Mike is asking, do all of your backs hurt from carrying the Nashville economy? <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. We need to see a chiropractor. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I think that, you know, it's, it's just like reflecting on the pandemic. I actually really liked the slowdown because it allowed me to take a step back and focus on the fundamentals. And I feel like Nashville's in very much the same spot where we've been going 100 miles an hour for the last 10 years, and we haven't been able to catch up with ourselves. You must not have had small children. (laughs) No, I did not. I I was my own small child. (laughs) Well, I think we mentioned it today that, and this came from a conversation last night, which was, um, you know, during the hard times or the stressful times that we can reflect and say, okay, how can we build better right now? And it was in the recession that we built the convention center. And, you know, coming out of the recession, I mean, look how Nashville exploded after getting that one. And then the hospitality market changed and then our tourism changed. And so we're getting things from that, but we invested in ourselves in a downturn. And so I think we were also sort of talking about, well, you know, East Bank was one of the questions today. Well, in East Bank is, is, you know, is now the time to be, taking the city taking on this enormous project well now it's the time to invest and i know ed can sort of go on and on about you know we really one of our challenge or one of our biggest challenges is infrastructure and mobility and we're going to keep saying mobility instead of transit but mobility and infrastructure we've got to we've grown so fast we have to invest back into our city or we can't we can't keep going Ed could do the whole podcast fall, on infrastructure alone, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I do want to bring you in on that one, Ed. I mean, let, let's talk about the infrastructure real quick, because I, I feel like a lot of people out there don't understand how not keeping up with your infrastructural systems can really hamstring a city. So can you talk about where Nashville is and where we're trying to get it to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's 
you you teed it up well. You know, we've been on this breakneck pace, right, for almost a decade now, just growing and, and again, growing comparative to our size. I think that's just part of the conversation you have to always bring into things into frame in its context when you talk about infrastructure. It's not that the city growing is a bad thing. It's just relative pace of growth with the infrastructure that it takes to keep up with that growth. And so many projects and large projects have happened in our urban core, but also so many of our corridors and these new nodes are growing. And our infrastructure is, it's one big network, right? And that's the thing I think a lot of people don't get is, you know, our transit network, it also kind of flows with our utility networks. And we have a lot of parts of the city. Um, I, you know, I said, when you zoom out on Nashville and you look at the county, um, it's still majority green. And it's a beautiful thing about Nashville. I think that's why so many people love it. I mean, you can drive, you know, used to be 10, 15 minutes in one direction and you're, it feels so rural um, for a city that has so much to offer from an urban context. And so what that means, though, is that all of our infrastructure hasn't really made it to all of those parts of the city and the county. But then also in our urban core, the pace of growth, our city hasn't kept up with that. We have invested in ourselves, but it's a really difficult challenge to do that across all of your utility networks. And then we have some of our fastest growing communities. I'll mention Antioch because I, I know they're experiencing it. You know, they're starting to at the front end kind of face some of those challenges with the power grid. Right. And these are things we hear a lot about maybe in states like Texas. And you start having that that sprawl growth. Um, Nashville doesn't isn't necessarily, you know, averse to sprawl. Right. We've spread out and now we're starting to have that growth in all these areas. But again, one network. Um, and so I think, you know, one thing you mentioned this pause. I think I'm also a planning commissioner and being able to see the city start to really take this opportunity to look at how to stitch all these things together. I know we have a massive um, undertaking in our in our combined sewer networks and our water network. But when we mentioned the East Bay, you know, that is a project to really continue to city build. Right. And the core of that is mobility and connectivity. We've got to thread a city together that's really dissected by river and a lot of interstate infrastructure that is just experiencing massive growth. And we've got to make sure that we baking, we're baking transit in there because, you know, we talk about the jobs, we talk about the livability and the desire to be in Nashville. I mean, we were rated the worst transit city, right? Or, they, I don't <laughs> understand that. Like, how are we worse than Atlanta Atlanta has LA. LA. LA? How? I would like to see a metro option. Yes. Yes. an option. You're in a car. But we're, we're still car. kind of, we're yeah. still kind of. Or you're riding a bike playing Frogger in traffic. Right. right. Well, yes. Or you're on a sidewalk that doesn't yeah. connect. So that's our that's our challenge. That's our challenge. We were we were driving up and down Dickerson Pike the other day, and my girlfriend was like, "Can you believe I used to run on this street?" I was like, "Where? Here? Yeah, there's no place to run. Are you running in traffic? Yeah, yeah. that yeah. was the most like jaw dropping thing to me when I moved here from Memphis, and I started driving the neighborhoods, and I was like, "Where? Where are the sidewalks? There are no sidewalk. There is no sidewalk in my neighborhood. It was it was shocking, really. It goes back to the lack of infrastructure." Right. right. And again, it's just these networks that we have to learn. Each other. And, you know, we've been able to build fantastic new projects of all types. Um, but those things are just being kind of filled in. And that kind of overarching network isn't working in tandem with it. Um, some of that's because this growth just wasn't planned. I mean, who would have planned for the supernova of Nashville? Right. No, no one would have really believed you if you said it a few years ago. Uh, chance. But I do think that there are still some lessons to be learned that we we should have done a better a better job of planning. We should have seen some of the writing on the wall. And I always say, you know, now we have a really good opportunity of capturing the lightning in a jar. We've got to point it and focus it. Um, and I think infrastructure is just that place that needs to happen. And it's unfortunately not sexy, uh, but it but it is going to be the most needed type of investment our city has to make, especially when you think about three peating as number one looking at a four P and just honestly looking at the trajectory of the city, no matter where right. Um, but just to keep the city vibrant and a place where a lot of people feel comfortable. This is why I love that y'all are both on the, the East bank involved with the East bank, because you have such a history here and such a knowledge of where we we've come from, which is important. I mean, it's important. Like you mentioned, there's, we didn't know that we were going to need this. So, why would we have invested in that, you know, 10 years ago? Um, I, I'm excited for what you guys are going to do, Andy. 
Yeah. I mean, y'all have the opportunity to basically design a central business district as it should have been designed. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what's exciting well, to me. I think, you know, every, so our pro, I think at EOA, our projects are about community focused. And so, you know, again, just we're a small part of the East Bank, but I do think, you know, the East Bank is, is creating a community, community is creating a neighborhood. It's not, it's the, the goal is not to create you know, entertainment district. It's not repeating downtown, which I get excited about because how often in the in the country or in the world do you actually get to create something from scratch from an industrial area that can be focused on community? And so that is so close to the urban so core already. Close to downtown. And I mean and you've got a historic neighborhood adjacent. You can tie it into the greenways. So there's mobility options. There's transit options. There's Everything that you could imagine um, could be brought into that area. So it's it's really, I mean, it's, it's right next door to, to our office. I mean, we're right, we're sort of right in the middle of it. Convenient. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, as an investor on Dickerson Pike, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's okay. You've got another 20 years of construction. Go for it. But I mean, Dickerson Pike is one of those places exploding too. I mean, that just how, I think we look at Wedgwood Houston 10 years ago. I think that's Dickerson Pike. So in 10 years, you won't recognize what Dickerson Pike is because of all of the development that's going to be going in. And I know that, you know, this pause has sort of reset some of that, but it's still going to happen. I mean, it's an amazing corridor to be on. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the headlines in the report is itching to buy. Yeah. I mean, there are investors that are itching to buy. People still want to be spending this capital. It's not that all of a sudden this money has gone nowhere. Everybody's just pulling back. And, and kind of like they said, you know, your, your core investors are waiting for interest rates to come down. Yeah. Your value-add investors are waiting for more opportunistic buy scenarios. Like everybody's still there wanting to move into Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. And, the you know, it, this is different. We're not going to call it the big R word, but the, the reset. Like, this is different from other periods because there's still liquidity. And let's take out office of the discussion, but there's still, well, the property fundamentals are still strong. And- that hasn't been the case in in other periods like this. You know, there's, I, I'm not sure how much opportunistic investment there's going to be in, you know, multifamily per se here. I mean, I just, I think there's so much money out there that's wanting to smell blood in the water. And I just don't know that we're going to get there in Nashville. Knock on wood. Let's hope that's correct. But, but yeah, there's, there's liquidity out there. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing how there becomes blood in the water with with apartments. I mean, they were talking about how, you know, there. I mean, there's over six hundred thousand apartment units that are going to be delivered in twenty twenty four across the country, and Nashville still doesn't have enough to remotely keep up with the people that are moving here, let alone to provide enough to even start chipping away at affordable housing. Affordable housing came up quite a bit today. Yes, I mean, it seems it like that is the number one issue. Yeah. And I don't even know that, like, I, I wish we would almost call it attainable housing, right? Because right. I think people hear affordable housing and they think Section, Section 8, 8 or, but th that's not even the case here. I mean, we're talking about attainable housing for people with good incomes that are trying to live near their job. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not your dad's Section 8 project that we're no, talking I think, about here. You know, and Ed, correct me if I'm wrong on the stat here, but, you know, over half of Nashville hits the 80% AMI, so average median income. So over half of Nashville, which is, you know, one in two people at so like here are in the 80% range. And so when we're building 80% AMI housing, it's for all of us. It's not for, you know, when you get into the 60%, you get into, um, you know, even lower than that, then you start getting into much more affordable housing. But the 80% AMI is for the average Nashvilleian. So, you know, we have to keep building that. And, you know, a big discussion on the panel today was, okay, well, if the numbers don't pencil for a regular market rate project right now, how are they going to pencil for affordable? And it you have to have the incentives. You have to have federal, state, local money, and on top of that, some sort of different incentive. And, you know, one of our panelists saying that, well, they're still building and they're still planning because, you know, they have investment already. They already own the land or the land was at a low price or whatever, you know. So it's a different type of investment and they're in the planning phases. And we're probably going to have a different outlook one to two years from now than we have at this moment. But I think there's a lot of people and, and we're seeing it in our office. There's a lot of people still planning. 
So we're still designing multifamily projects. Um, not as many, but we're still in the design phase for quite a few. And I think that gives me hope that people are looking beyond the now and looking into the 2024, 2025 of when these are going to go construction online. So it's a little bit different, but we did, we did sort of flood the market with a lot of housing in the past five years. I'm and I, that's why that it didn't come up more. I, well, we still need some more, right? There's a lot of properties with, you know, a lower occupancy because we flooded so quickly. And then there are now starting to see concessions that we never saw in Nashville before. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I heard somebody on uh, a panel last week that's got a significant amount of the units. I think it's 15,000 in, you know, core downtown um, under in lease up phase. And he was saying, you know, based on their leasing velocity, that their units are 15 months out and their, you know, primary goal is getting heads in bed. So I can't tell you how many lenders I've had conversations with about oversupply in the market and should we be concerned. And when you look back at when the development actually started in downtown Nashville, relative to the rest of the country, we've had a lot of catch up. So it just feels like this very short term, maybe you're 15 months, there's going to be one to two month concessions. But I'm just hard pressed to think that that doesn't get absorbed. And in Nashville, continuously, since I've been covering this market or living in this market, it's this constant back and forth of, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We have too much. Whoa, slow. Get off the brakes. We've got you. It's like, can we just balance a little bit here? But I think I think it's important to put it in perspective, too, that a 15-month lease up for a new 200, 250-unit apartment complex historically is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, like- That's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. No, that's still good. Like, okay. I mean, you know- Look, in 2020, 21, 22, it was very common to see. I mean, we did a, we did a project. It was at a, a motel to apartment conversion where we signed 126 leases in six months. That's unheard of. I mean, you don't do that. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. I mean, Those are also really interesting because the square footage is so small. So the rent tight. is high, but they're really actually affordable. They're actually it's, attainable. Right. It's it, They were 216 square feet and we were renting them out for... 900 bucks a month gross. Where are you living? But I mean, if you think about it, like compared to everything else in Nashville for right. a relatively new construction yeah. unit, that's yeah. that's affordable. Right. But I will say the reason we have such a catch up in downtown is because when I first moved here, it was illegal to live downtown. Right. Which so is we're crazy. zoned for people to have residential in the downtown core. So it's crazy that a city would do that. But finally, you know, we approved zoning for residential. And then we started having, I mean, I think... You know, Tony's Cumberland, you know, high rise was probably the first high rise we had with it was. pure residential sure. downtown. And I mean, that was what, 15, 15 years ago? And when you look so at the first one. Right. And when you look at the supply coming online in that context, the historical context, it's it changes it changes the conversation because yeah. 15,000 units in downtown core in any other market it is going to be hard to absorb. But it's just I don't think that's the case here. I think there's, you know, and there's you know, several studies on this and I don't, I don't want to misquote figures, but, you know, there is a amount based on just the size of your downtown, the amount of residences that you want to have to have a healthy, vibrant, kind of complete downtown. It allows you to service, uh, you know, one, that balance between your households and residents, as well as all of the vitality that you want to see in terms of commerce and types of cultural activities and all those things that again, make you want to live in a place. Right. Um, and the, you know, the proverbial term that's getting thrown around now a lot is the doom loop, right? Where you have this vacate, this vacancy, this, I mean, pure evacuation from office and then the urban core and what that does to your tax base and how that also cannibalizes businesses. And then those businesses leave and then your tax base drops again. Um, and one thing that really kind of combats that is having those residences in downtown, right? People are living there because they probably don't mind walking to work because their commute's easier. And they also patron all of those businesses that don't have to rely purely on office. And in Nashville, while we're growing, that's one of the things that we don't really have to worry about. And I think that's why we can, you know, as we're a city that's number one in 2024, we can like look at what everyone else is struggling with or fearing or what their nightmares are about, and like take that into consideration when we're planning a new district. I don't, and again, I don't think it'll be a central business district because I think we've 
we've got that. And again, you know, mm -hmm. the writing on the wall is business districts have to shift anyway. Right. But I mean, how fortunate are we to be building in the downtown area with that knowledge? Right. right? Like our core infrastructure, our core planning is built on, hey, maybe office isn't what you anchor everything around. And hence, that's what we're doing at East Bank is it's much more about building a neighborhood that's around entertainment and culture and that connectivity and acting as kind of that hub of an entire city. Yeah, I mean, people want to live in those areas, right? I mean, that's that's the biggest issue with with Nashville's downtown right now is it's either office or honky tonks. There's almost no in between, right? And that's caused a lot of issues for for some of the office tenants. You know, you've got some really big names, Bassberry, Pinnacle, these groups moving out of the central business district, yeah, because they don't want to deal with it anymore. But I also kind of look at it and I go, well, that's kind of a positive thing, right? I mean, maybe downtown's going into its new evolution, and maybe I'm totally wrong. But, you know, now we've started referring to it as the entertainment district. Right. You know, and I, for one, would love to see a 60-story honky-tonk. <laughs> <laughs> if anywhere you in the should, world, you right? Should do it. <laughs> you should build that. Well, well, yeah, is that I'm in the pipeline? Yeah. We're getting the grocery stores down. I mean, they're smaller, but, they, you know, we're, we're finally getting the grocery stores. We're finally getting all the amenities you need for to actually live downtown. We're finally getting those. We need more daycare options. We need other things that would be a support system for the residents. But we're, I mean, we're, I've been here 26 years, by far much better than we used to be. So used to, it was you had some office and then you had, you had the entertainment and that was it. There were no amenities. So thankfully people can now live there. I, yeah. Somebody on the panel mentioned this morning, it's a logistics problem. And I thought that was pretty well said because I feel like probably pre me moving here, it was a lot of pushback on the way downtown was evolving. And I feel like now we're just embracing it. Like you said, it's an entertainment district now. So, you know, let's let it be what it is. It it, it has its identity and it generates a lot of income yes, tax. Yes. A lot of income tax. I mean, that's, you know, helping really carry the state right now. And I think that was mentioned on a panel today that, you know, we if we want more affordable housing, we are sometimes we're going down on density um, and it may be not as large a project if it's an affordable housing project versus a market rate housing project. And so we are sort of deferring or delaying or, you know, missing some of that tax base by doing more affordable. But it's something that our city has to have. So what's the impact? And I know Business Journal ran several stories on this of the tax basis of affordable housing versus market rate or office or other things. But it, we have to have that to have a true neighborhood. You know, the downtown, can you imagine downtown workers actually being able to live near downtown to go to their job downtown, less cars on the street? I mean, it, it's a win-win for everyone. It would solve the biggest pain point that workers at companies downtown have, which is dealing with the traffic and the nightmare of tourism. Yeah. I mean, if you were able to just walk two blocks... It'd be great. I mean, that's why the 505 was great. I mean, there's there's so many great projects that are coming online down there that are selling out quick or they're leasing up quickly. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to dive into is office. I mean, we're already kind of talking about it, but let's cool. let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. It was kind of surprising to me because it didn't seem like the overall sentiment. Now, there's obviously a lot of office deals that are struggling. But the overall sentiment didn't seem too bad on office. I was surprised by the statistic that work from home employees have only gone up from about 10% in 2019 to just under 20% today. I mean, by headlines, you would think, no, over 50% of employees are working from home right now. Nobody's going into the office. This isn't happening. I, 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 but does that I'm include surprised. the hybrid? Like, are, So is that the, you know, I, I feel like there's just this massive number of people working two, what three it, days. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's, I don't know if it's fully capturing like, how many people are in the office Monday to Friday, you know, eight to five? Probably not as many, but I think it depends on your industry, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so this was a topic that came up <laughs> quite a bit and it comes up at the national level. It's, you know, and people are looking at metrics, right? And, you know, office use, office use efficiency, you know, how many people are swiping in or badging in or fobbing in based on the use of office space. And I think, I think to your point, it's, they're not exclusively work from home or working remotely. Um, and so therefore you still have that space and you still have that utilization. And again, you know, one, one point that I've made is 
think people in Nashville go downtown to the office when they know there's something else they want to do. Yeah. Right. right. Like it's like, oh, well, that's right. I have this social event after work on Tuesday. So I'm going to go in, won't really complain about it because it's not the nine to five time period I'm planning for. It's the breakfast or whatever on the front end or the evening event on the on the back end. And that's what's making it OK for me to go in. If not, I'd be grumbling all the way to work. And again, you know, having that interwovenness of an entertainment district, an area where there is the opportunity to see a show five, seven nights a week right in Nashville. And you're like, hey, you know, going downtown while the work, the commute to work is not exciting or enthralling and I don't like this. I would still make this trip because there is an active center that I would go to. And I think that's something that when we talk about what's kind of separating Nashville from other places, I think that's it. Now, what does that mean for the, you know, the tenant, right? The decision maker on, on where they want their office. I think a lot of people are really more so looking than vacating fully. They're downsizing or trying to, you know, get the nicer, newer office space that is a smaller footprint that kind of works and kind of checks more boxes uh, because, you know, every CFO or whoever's responsible for finances in the company is trying to shrink that bottom line all the time, regardless of if we had a pandemic or not. And one thing that's just like hitting them in the face is that the office is uh, but it doesn't mean the office space isn't valuable. It doesn't mean that you don't need it. You just may need it less or you may use it differently. Yeah, I think it depends on the industry. I mean, we don't do a lot of office projects. We do a lot of mixed use projects. But I will say that, you know, when you're when one of your top um, employers in the in the city is the state government. So when they it was mentioned today, when they went home for, you know, the pandemic, they went home permanently. So, I mean, they, a lot, the majority of the state workers, because we work with the state a lot, they're working from home. And it's a better model for them. They have less real estate. They're able to consolidate. And, you know, I, and they're still getting their work done. So I'm not saying every state employee isn't going in. I'm just saying a lot of them are working from home. And when you have the majority of them in the downtown core, it changes how many people you have. So, you know, we're a hybrid in our office. We're a hybrid work model. So, I mean, we're Monday, Friday, optional work from home. And I think it, you know, I think it works for us. I don't think it works in every industry, but I mean, we're a very collaborative sort of industry and architecture design. Um, so I think we have to have that one-on-one time, but there's also time that we can, we can be very productive from home. So I think it depends on where you are and what you're doing. But I don't think there are developers out there right now that are wanting to build another office tower in Nashville. Oh, sure. Um, I don't think anyone's going to finance it, and I don't think anyone's going to build it. Now, does it mean they want a year from now? Maybe. Um, you know, things change, but I don't see I don't see people knocking down the doors to build an office tower. Yeah, I think the problem with office is that it's, you know, I, I say this about commercial real estate all the time, it's stuck in the 80s, right? Like, it honestly is. I mean, Office has not changed. You look at what has multifamily has gone through over the last 10, 15 years. I mean, apartments are entirely different today than they were, you know, back in the early 2000s. Same with retail. I mean, retail has undergone its shift. Office just, ha- and even industrial, right? Like everybody else has evolved except for office. Right. Yeah. It's an existential crisis right now. And I think it's going to be so interesting. And I know you've done this on some previous podcasts and I've, I've seen some information on it, but you've seen the future of office. I think. <laughs> yeah, I've seen but the future. It, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens to these assets. I mean, we hear so much about these office to multifamily conversion. At one point, I read an article that said one in three um, office buildings are, are prime for multifamily conversion. No way. There's no way. There's no way. I just don't understand that. But then at the same time. <laughs> You hear, I I remember Janet from Colliers, who moderated the panel this morning, had mentioned, you know, we're going to come out of this and we're going to be, Nashville's going to be underweight on class AA office. I thought that was really interesting. Yes. So she said that before. It's it's like, okay, so we're going to be underweight on class AA. And then you see all of this kind of suburban office going more granular because of what you mentioned, Ed. And then, you know, you're going to have some of this office to multi-conversion. I am not creative enough to know what that looks like, but you know, you're going to see some stuff get scrapped, but all it's going through this evolution. Nobody knows what office is right now or going to become. Right. And I think you're just going to see 
a bifurcation, much like you're seeing in other asset classes. It'll be interesting. Maryland Farms is a perfect case study of how to do office wrong. I mean, I think, like, seriously, I mean, I, I'm probably going to offend somebody, I'm sure. But look, you drive through Maryland Farms, you can't differentiate any of the office buildings. I've tried going out to businesses there before, and if I didn't have GPS, I would be so confused. There's nothing that differentiates any of those offices. The problem is Brentwood doesn't have any multifamily zoning, and yeah. that whole area would be prime for multifamily redevelopment, but they don't want to do it. I mean, what happens to these suburban office parks like that? Well, let's be honest. You are not the tenant that they are after. Well, of course. <laughs> this yeah, this that's fair. is not in Maryland Farms. Yeah, that's, yeah I've, got, I've got a couple too many tattoos. <laughs> I mean, that's the lack of, of mixed use. And I think what is making neighborhoods like Wedgwood Houston and East Nashville so interesting in Germantown is uh, the true meaning of mixed use. And I, you know, as I said, we do a lot of mixed use buildings that are very heavy on on apartment or condo or, or things. But the apartment model is that you can you can get in and your amenities can be very flexible and your ground floor can be completely flexible. So whether you want to do it as a live work, a flex space, a retail space, it can pivot to the, where you want it to be. It can be a retail space this year. It can be an office space next year. The live work can be, you know, on a downturn where you're not getting any retail. It can go straight to live. But you're still enlivening the ground floor, which is what we want to do in a true mixed use, in a, in a real successful neighborhood. So I like the spaces that can pivot. And we're also building a lot more amenities that are co-work. So different versions of co-work, whether it's the conference space, it's the individual, it's the group. Um, we're just doing that in all of our apartment projects right now. So I think, you know, people pivoted from going to work and now they're working from home, but they don't want to work from home and be by themselves. So they're in this communal yeah. communal space, but they're not downtown. Yeah. So. You still want to be around other people. And, and I think there's a lot of power in shifting your space yeah. to shift your mind. I, I, I could not work from my house no. and then just yeah. shut my laptop and think that everything's good. Like I would be so much in that work mindset. I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think one thing too, you know, we're thinking about, and I, love what you said about office. I think it's absolutely right in terms of it just not morphing and modifying with rest rest asset types. And, you know, I think future is out there already too, right? It's 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 kind of termed innovation districts where you start to see, you know, you have the anchor institution, regardless of what it is. And it's starting to kind of modify its fringes or just picking a truly new location. And you kind of have the not necessarily the anchor tenant in the tall office building, but you have the kind of the the anchor foundation around it and you're giving a path of progression, right? And so you have your scrappy entrepreneurial businesses to kind of your mid-tier businesses to your prestigious, they probably can take up a few floors or even have their name on a building, but they understand the value of being in this space because what do they want? They really want to be productive, innovative, and share talent and be able to grab that and create those spaces. And it's almost like office has to take what it's been forcing itself to try to do inside of four walls and like open it up yeah. and say, actually, this is how you do it. That public realm and that open space, that's where that creativity is going to happen. That's where you're going to get those, you know, freshly graduated students or kind of newly trained and just, or even a, you know, the future skill set that are doing AI and all the tech stuff. And you put them in the same place, place with the gray hairs and they are going to interact, but they're going to do it in a way that's not just this very hierarchical structure of corner office versus cubicle. It's got to be much more dynamic than that. And again, the masses are coming in from the younger age. and That doesn't work anymore, which is why I think just like anything we've been talking about, you know, this 15 to 20 month reset, like you're not going to feel it until two or three years, right? Anything you feel that stops financing and construction of projects, you're not going to feel it in the moment. Like you do, what you're really going to do is see that echo throughout, right. you know, the next 10, 15 years. And I feel like the areas that are really booming, a lot of them are tied to healthcare or educational institutions or tech, right? And that's because they're looking at so many different segments. They're trying to, you know, articulate what their mission is in the built environment. And office just has never done that. And it's got a shift to it. And when you start seeing more of that, which is why I think we're going to have a fun time on East Bay, and maybe that's why Oracle's looking at what they're doing a little bit different on River North 
is the space has to start to speak to people. And I think, Tyler, you said it. You go through Maryland Forums. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And it feels like I should leave. <laughs> right? It feels like I should leave. You're accusing a lot of people in Maryland. <laughs> well, I mean, people have brought it up, but I think it's, it's, I think it's a good example. It's fine. I think it's a good example. I think it's a good example. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a brilliant way of putting it because you, you mentioned how office needs to get out of its four walls. I think that flexibility is going to be key moving forward because a lot of office ha- is so permanent. You know, like, I mean, we're looking at these walls right now, like I can't expand my studio without tearing out a bunch of walls, doing some construction. I mean, it would have, it could have been designed in a much better way using a modular wall system or something to that extent to where I could easily just collapse that down, expand this out. And, you know, I could accommodate, you know, a meeting room in here if I was going to host a bunch of people for a day or, you know, whatever that is. I think that that's the biggest issue in office is that the way that we work have changed, but the place that we work has not. Well, that's why I'm anxious. You mentioned it. That's why I'm anxious to see how Oracle is going to pivot and how their campus is going to change after, you know, they had a pause because they were able to sort of rethink it during the pandemic. Okay, how's it going to come back different and how's it going to come back better? And is it more community focused? Is it more green focused? Is it flexibility is built in? So it'd be interesting to see um, what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see that. Get them on a podcast. (laughs) I'm on it. Okay. Uh, you might know somebody. You want to hook me up? <laughs> <laughs> so we we mentioned mobility earlier, and you know that is that is probably the number one thing that Nashville has going against it. Uh, not just from you know the city's growth perspective, but that's also holding us back from you know originally landing the Amazon headquarters when they were on the search a few years ago. It's likely keeping a Super Bowl from Nashville for the time being, right? Because you know once we have the new stadium, we'll have a whole new mobility district, it'll be a, a little bit different. And of course, Nashville is just, for whatever reason, we keep voting down transit options. Mm-hmm. What uh, I'm really excited about is that Mayor Freddie O'Connell, one of his primary goals during his term in office is to fix or at least start the process of mobility in Nashville. Right. What do you think is going to happen during his term over the next four years? I feel like Jimmy Granberry said it this morning that, you know, the the previous votes that have come before the citizens, he didn't even really like the plan. And but he and he's one of the first people you would think of to be supportive of a mobility and infrastructure plan. So I think it's going to be so important as to how palatable is it? How financeable is it? Like what? You know, you've you've they've mentioned it this morning too. You saw this in in Austin. In Austin, you know, they they voted it through and then realized, oh, it's double the cost and we can't fund it. Right. Um, but I I feel like I feel fingers crossed this time might be the time for us because we've learned from our mistakes along the way in this process. I think the biggest thing we did to shoot ourselves in the foot on the last one was do an underground tunnel. Come well, on. Yeah, that was mentioned several times. I mean, you know, we're not going to put a tunnel under Broadway. I think, you know, and it was mentioned this morning. Let's just start with something easy. And maybe this isn't easy, but let's start with a route that goes from the airport to downtown. Let's get, you know, 70 percent of those people that come in from the airport that are tourists. Let's get them off the roads because they don't need a car. Their destination is downtown. So or the neighborhoods. Oh, by the way, BNA could share in that cost, right? Yeah, he didn't say that, but <laughs> I mean, I do think that's something that we can, you know, that's a that's a step that people will see the congestion on 40 go down. Yeah. So and then there are some easier things we could do. And I mean, I have to say, you know, mobility is everything. And so, you know, I get so excited every time I go down 12 South now with the complete street. I love it. So having a street that has the dedicated bike lane, the separated pedestrian. We've got the stormwater infrastructure. I mean, th- it excites me that we can do things like that. And it took a while and it probably took a lot of coordination. But imagine if Dickerson went to that. Imagine if Trinity went to that. Imagine if Main Street went to that. I mean, throughout our city, we would be such a better city if we could connect, the, get the pedestrians where they're supposed to be, get the get the bikes where they're supposed to be and protected. At the same time, allocating a space for cars. And even Janet mentioned, you know, it doesn't, if you're sitting on a bus and you're sitting in the same traffic that you would as a car, 
You're still going to ride the bus. So let's get some dedicated lanes for the buses. So does that not ju- does that actually decrease slower time, or is that just increasing everybody else's traffic well, time to where it's relatively? You know what I mean? I know, but but that was part of that was part of the previous transit plan was dedicated bus lanes. Sure. And so I mean those were things we I think what happened is we lumped it all together. Yeah. And it was very it, ambitious. It was yeah. very ambitious. And we yeah. we much. could now start to look at these individual pieces that would make the city better as a whole. Yeah. So I, I've, and, you know, a couple of things come to mind. So I'll try to keep these succinct. But I think in all development, my, one of the first things that always comes to mind is, you know, perfect is the enemy of progress. And, you know, we have a city that isn't quite educated on all the different modes and benefits of transit because we've never had it. Uh and I think you mentioned it, right? I mean, we just didn't even have sidewalks. Like, we didn't have the basic right. thing that said, hey, it's okay to walk here. So when you think outside of the car, we've been built out as such a car-centric city. I mean, our downtown, our sidewalks are tiny. You know, hub-and-spoke system that people don't really understand the value of a hub-and-spoke. That's why people don't use it properly. Um, you know, we work with the state. You have 840. And trucks still come directly into the heart of the urban core. Like, there's an education that needs to happen. But I do think there's also the value of saying, hey, We've got to start with something and like not only deliver, but like over deliver. Like instead of saying we got to throw a lot of money at everything, you got to throw a pretty sizable amount of money at one of the first two things. Do it so well, because one of the first, I guess, one of the main measurements of the investment in transit is ridership. And most people's experience with our current bus system is doesn't work, takes too long. And so it's like, well, if your answer is dedicated bus lanes, you're saying you're going to take more right-of-way. Pretty strong property rights. <laughs> City, state, it doesn't matter. Like, people don't want their property encroached upon. Right. And then two, to do what with it? And your answer is to put a bus, and our cognitive association with the bus is a crappy thing that doesn't go fast enough, right? And so we've got to, like, really start to improve what is our base function, which is we have a bus. Bus just becomes a stellar performing asset. Like, our bus system for our city I mean, make it home and then continue the network that we've talked about with complete streets. And, you know, there's an education on that, too. But I think when you can start to just do those few things and like show that the city is so committed to their success, people believe in you. You've got to build that trust factor. People believe in you to do that next thing. And then you can. I mean, it can be part of a really big, ambitious plan, but you've got to show that path to that plan. And I think that's where we lose a lot of people. It's either it's not enough or it's way too big. And there isn't a way to kind of get people in the middle and say, well, here's the whole plan. It is a big plan. And, and we, we, we understand how important transit is. But here's where we're going to start. And we're going to do that so well that you will start asking for the rest of it. I think that's the approach. I think, and I think this mayoral administration kind of sees that we've got to start biting at that apple. And we've got to do it pretty intensively. Whether or not it's big bites or small bites, to be determined. But it has to be happening at this time. So is that, is that number one? Is that the first thing they, they put money towards? Dedicated like bus, bus rapid transit. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... I mean, East Do you Bank's have inside knowledge? Well, What's East going on? <laughs> I could just speak to the East Bank. I mean, the East Bank and that corridor, um, the boulevard that's supposed to go there. I mean, it is the city's... I, I think the East Bank period, as I've described it, and maybe others have, I think it's the proving ground for the city. Right? Anything you say you're going to do well, <laughs> Exhibit A should be do it there. And so when you talk about having a transit hub, when you talk about a connectivity hub, when you talk about having bus rapid transit with a dedicated lane, when you talk about greenway connectivity, um, bridge building to kind of thread our city together across the river, like all of that has to happen there. Happen there. And so, and again, it's not going to be inexpensive. Um, Nashville has an issue with big numbers. It's not going to be inexpensive. And so whether you did a crappy job or a good job, it's still going to cost you some money. Might as well do a really good job. And I think as Nashville gets to the point where people start to say, okay, you said you were going to do it. That was the place to look. And you know what? When I when I go downtown to a Titans game now, it's actually not not that bad. Like, like if you gave me this bus now on Gallatin Corridor, I might ride it. But that connotation can shift. Because right now what people know, they're dissatisfied with. How, how do you go about educating neighborhoods, communities, metro areas that this is actually for their benefit? Because, you know, th- there was so much opposition to 12 South when it started coming down to adding the bike lanes, increasing sidewalks, slowing down traffic. And it has caused that neighborhood to absolutely boom. But was there, I mean, who was opposing? Because, I mean, I, I, I live 
near there. Yeah. I didn't hear I didn't hear people opposing, but it was was it the commercial businesses opposing or was it the residents? It was more of the residents. Or was it the and, 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 well the and not even necessarily residents, but people that wanted to pass through 12, 12 yeah. avenues out to downtown. Or I mean, the same thing, news not to talk to you about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they avoided you. I mean, same, same thing happened yeah. on Eighth Avenue South where it actually got shot down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Guess, you're right. Yeah. Again, our, our hub and spoke system is seen as highways, and it's not really that. Um, I think I think one of the main things to do, and I think we've done a good job with 12th to be able to point at an example. Um, and so now we have a local example. Again, is it going to be stewarded well over the next two years as it's talked about? I hope so. Right. Because, again, all you got to do is give someone an at home version of, you know, critiquing and you want to limit their critiques. But I think it's make days where I think, you know, again, Mayor O'Connell kind of encourage the city to do it. Like, let's all see how we can commute to my inauguration speech, not using a car. Like, let's like, let's right. do it. Yeah. And then right. let's, but then let's talk about it. Right. It's not just do it and never mention it again. It's okay. Well, tell me all the things that you still worked. Like what worked, what didn't, because yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. When people see that from your leadership, I think people say, okay, when you're challenging me to critique it and I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like whatever way you did, but you got to get people to buy into the conversation, whether it's the, you know, the grumpy old guy in the back of the room with his arms folded, that's just waiting for the time or it's the advocate who's already an advocate. But you got to create that forum. And I think he started that already. And so one, the one really criticism of Geodas, and I love Geodas as a project and as a, you know, everything it does for Nashville is that we don't have a great transit option to get to the stadium. And so, you know, we are congesting a single family residential neighborhood and the majority of the border of it with all these cars that could be avoided if we had a better transit option. Yeah, I know I, that I, was the master plan. I know it was supposed to go there. We just didn't get it. It's like anything else, right? We, we cart before the horse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it is. Let's we just got to put the horse in the, in the front. I mean, it's, it's probably a controversial take on my part, but I think that it's helping push forward the narrative as to why we need better transit. Oh yeah. You have to put things it's like amazing. that that are futuristic I mean, it's, it's, you know, on a much, much smaller scale, the wash is the same way. Like I got a lot of people saying, you know, when we were going to open that up that, that, oh, there's no way anybody's going to go to that. You don't have any parking. I was like, look at SACO, man. SACO has been there for 25 years with yeah, no parking. Yeah. I still go all the time. Oh, there he would just fine. Yeah. yeah. Every place on 12 South, there's no parking. It's, it's terrible. We've got a, a comment from Jessica on Maryland Farms is a space that's great for a mature conservative crowd. That that would be mortgage bankers. I love that you have mortgage bankers. She's saying, how close are we to the comprehensive 2040 national master plan? I would so this is this is coming from a planning commissioner. I think we're not that close. And I honestly think Nashville has to pivot from almost any significant large scale plan. And not pivot as in toss it out. I don't mean that. But pivot is in we've got to open those up and digest them with new lenses because Nashville is not the Nashville that anybody projected it would be at that time. And to not take into consideration what's happening now and trying to push forward with those plans, um, it's, I just don't think it's advisable. Now, I think there's a great opportunity to do what I said where there's, you know, you capture the lightning and there's some things that are in those plans. They're, they, were, they were done. Residents, there's, there's a lot of value in them. There's some things that should be grabbed and accelerated. And I love what you said, Tyler. Like this, you have destinations. Now you can accelerate certain things. I love this, the story from Dallas when they talked about their DART system, which is a regional system, which I think Nashville's got to get outside of its its four walls, but its county lines to really get to a good transit system that we need. But it's you've got to put things that are out there to create that that kind of that dumb that that dumbbell, right? People are willing to ride it because they know where they're going. Um, I think the same thing has happened with our plans. We've got to put plans that are attainable in the short period of time because politically, political will, financial support has to come for them kind of right now. And so they've got to be something that I think people can really see in short order. It doesn't mean that we, again, abandon those plans. I think there's a lot of things in there that need to be kind of recurated or recurated and refined. But I don't think we're far away from, you know, being able to achieve that. I just don't know if, is it right anymore? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the the tough thing about putting plans together like that is, I mean, especially in today's age, I mean, the way that I have worked is entirely different than it was last year, just because ChatGPT blew up on the scene in December 
And then I had to figure out what the hell was going on with that. And now, I mean, it seems like AI is in everything. Yeah. I mean, you can't predict Every like that. Absolutely. Every conversation. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah, let's, let's talk about AI. Way, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really quick. I do want to yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think just one thing, 2040 plan, I think Greenways, we actually are getting, oh, yeah, Gre yeah. Greenways is making that will extensive <laughs> strides. Um, and our development community is really starting to embrace it. I think our planning communities, we even get into a lot of our design guidelines and principles. So I just wanted to say that um, before I kind of say 2040, I get that out of you. Yeah. The green ways <laughs> and mobility is still very I will say, I mean, before we go into AI, I, I do think I have, you know, I've been here 26 years. I've never seen a city, I don't think in this country, that has had the amount of public sort of um, investment as we have right now. So, I mean, we used to talk in millions and now we're talking in billions. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, $2 billion, $1.6 billion Titan Stadium. You've got a new T Tennessee Performing Arts Center. You have a couple of billion dollars in the airport. You have, you know, a billion plus in the East Bank. I mean, these, and then, of course, you we just completed Geodis. I mean, we're looking at baseball on the horizon. So, I mean, we've never, I've, this is so exciting to be in a city where we're investing so much money into and to some degree, it is livability because it's these assets that will bring more tourism and more tax dollars to us, which will hopefully improve our school system, give us transit options, fund these things that we want to do. But I don't know of any city in America that's doing this at once. I think, and so it's, a, it's absolutely it's mind blowing. I think that's a great point because, you know, back when One Bellevue Place was undergoing its redevelopment, I mean, that was it was like one of the three largest redevelopments in the United States or the Southeastern United States. And now it seems like we have those announced left and right. Yeah, absolutely. And something that's not really, I mean, I shouldn't say sexy, but it's not really talked about a whole lot. But like the state of Tennessee is investing $2 billion across the state. Now, not all of that is coming to Nashville, but it's going into our community colleges. It's going into our infrastructure. It's going, in, it's going into a lot of sort of historic renovation, rehab. I mean, we're working on four state projects right now. I'm totally excited that we're going into the park system. We're going into all these places that make, you know, places we want to go and be. Yeah, they're great. And so, I mean, but $2 billion in the state is absolutely amazing as well. I mean, we're so many billion dollars everywhere. I mean, well, but even, I mean, yes, across the state, but think about over the past few years, what's happened on the mall. Oh, yeah. And in urban, I mean, been a billion dollars there yeah. in, in public assets. And Again, not sexy, but, you know, water services, you know, we got to flush our toilets and the water's got to go somewhere. Ed can always bring, yeah. Ed can always bring a conversation <laughs> back to water. But, I mean, they've got $2 billion just in separating combined sewers, right? I mean, there's just so much work in terms of, like, the built environment, seen and unseen, yeah. that that's happening in this city. And, and again, it's, it, the return on investment that, for that is there. You know, it's, it, I will say this, the, because you mentioned 8th Avenue. The pain point for people is, to your point, it's happening all at once, which is yeah. hard to experience as a as a as a resident of a growing, vibe, just I mean, vibrant city that is also still growing. Like it's growing, and then it's vibrant as it's growing, and then oh, by the way, we're going to keep growing. Like that's a little bit of an anxiety. We're just uh, one big construction zone, is what we yeah. are, and we continue to be. I mean, just driving yeah. here, all the construction on Dickerson. I mean, there's just construction everywhere, and I get it. Twelve South didn't like the construction, but look what we got out of it. Yeah, and Wedgwood, Houston, is just one big construction site. But yeah. imagine what it's going to be when it's complete. So I'm, I'm so numb to it now. Years. But I'm yeah. so numb to all the construction, like because we've just been, we've just seen it. I mean, you know, Nashville has had the most cranes per capita in the country for you know multiple years in a row. I mean, you know, we we had we had an investor in town this past week, and he was like, "Y'all have so there's cranes everywhere. There's so much." And we were like, "Oh yeah, I guess there is." We just it's we just not so as many, but yeah. I mean, we went to Toronto in the spring for spring conference. That's the what the this the fourth the city with the fourth largest amount of cranes in the world wow. but you don't see them that much because they're between all the high rises so but when you go up top you're like oh my gosh there's cranes everywhere but i mean they're exploding i can't remember how many hundred cranes they have at once but they have 50 you have like 51 tower cranes that's anyway. crazy but those you know that's a different market i mean that's an investor market so they're building 
bonded force and it's, it's, you know, international investors. It's really not our market, but could be. Yeah, that should be there in as the pace we're going with yeah, 10, 20 years. 20, 2040 <laughs> if we revise our plan. Well, we're, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of everybody's time, but I do want a quick thought from everyone on AI. Like, what are your what's, what are your sentiments on it? What's it changing with the way that you work? What are your thoughts? We talked about this before. This are we going to have to like, to pray? To I AI I I am like I wish I still had a dial phone. Like I'm stuck <laughs> in the past, so that the AI is just beyond me. Like I can't grasp my mind around it. But I do think, um, like our company is looking into how to adopt it. I think there's a lot of. I mean. We don't want to be office, right? We don't want to be stuck in the past. Like we're gonna, we're gonna have to, um, we're gonna have to change and and embrace it. And I, I, I'm not the mind for that. And I'm gonna let somebody else take the charge first and just tell me how to adopt it. So I'm not the best one for this question. Uh, for me, and this is probably a little out there, but you know, AI is a great and complex tool, but tools are only as good as the user. Um, you can give the best tool in the world to an unqualified, incapable individual, and you don't really get much from it. Um, I think AI will, the value of AI will be told by how prepared humanity is to really use it. And also, you know, many things were created as tools and ultimately became weapons. And I feel like AI has that written all over yeah. it. Um, but I would say what it means for the workplace and the work environment is exactly what you talked about a minute ago is we need to be more flexible because now we're going to work totally different. I mean, you're going to have a nonstop, you know, engine that's just constantly trying to better understand what your next step is or next five steps or 10 steps are. Uh, that's going to change how you do really everything when you give it five, 10 years to work its way into, into the workforce. Um, but I, I will say this too. I think it's going to increase our demands um, on power and energy and technology that that turn on me you know we got we got to get a new iphone every two years because the thing just stops working like it just stops working i mean imagine when we pour everything into ai and then it's time for a new one i mean i think it's a dangerous thing right. to really start doing i so, think it's a conspiracy so some of those things, <laughs> um <laughs> but i was say it was proven that yeah, <laughs> but i will say this i think and then i'll pass it i think we've got to be very intentional about integrating ai into uh an equity platform so that workforce communities can keep pace because the, the technical divide is a thing that just keeps growing and AI is just going to accelerate that 10, 15, 20, 100 fold. So I think there does just need to be a lot of that going into like our education system, our, how we work through government, like just so many things that I think come along with that. But um, I'm a little <laughs> like Brittany, I mean, I'm I'm going to do what I do, whether AI is helping me or not. And, you know, I feel like I can I can manage with or without it, but um, in no way want to be a dinosaur. So just like you said, you got to sit down and digest it. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited for it because I know what it, what it means, as what we can, what the positive things. Yeah, what it could be. Yeah. I think that's it. It's like, how do you use it as a tool? I do see the danger. And of course, there's the conversations and debates and music and entertainment and, you know, where do the royalties go and how does it displace people? And so I think that's a totally different discussion in design. I think we see it as a tool that can be used and can it make us more efficient? Can it assist us? Um, can it do things that we can't do? Then, yeah, we can use it as that. Is it going to design a building? No. <laughs> I mean, there's still so many things that go to into it that hopefully the human capabilities are not displaced. But... Um, can it make us more efficient? Yes. And so, you know, there's much more, you know, um, there's better people in our office that can discuss this about the technology and the tools we're going to use and the programs and platforms. But it goes back to utilizing it as a tool. Yeah. And it's about working, you know, working smarter. So how do we do that? The human artificial intelligence handoff and hand back, I think it's going to be a dynamic thing yes. for advancing us. Um, if, if, defi defining when those hands handoffs are right or appropriate um, and how and the controls around it. I think even photography. I mean, we were shooting a building a few weeks ago and, you know, there was no one in the pool. And they're like, oh, yeah, AI, we'll, we'll, we'll add some trees over here and we'll put somebody in the pool and easily AI. Make it sunset. Yeah. <laughs> like, what picture are you looking at that's even real anymore? It's crazy. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, renderings, I think, you know, it's, 
it's architectural renderings. Like you can't tell anymore sometimes if it's an actual rendering versus a photograph. So it's, it's a little scary. Well, when AI can get and great my clients higher loan to cost <laughs> leverage, you're all let me know I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just ready for AI to start sifting through my loan documents and telling me what I should and shouldn't pay attention to. That's why you have a mortgage bank. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Sheila, Ed, Brittany, thank you all so much for coming in the studio and diving into this topic today. Their bios and links are in the description. So if you want to connect with them, follow them. I uh, highly recommend going and checking those out. Appreciate you all tuning in and we'll see you in the next one. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.